Welcome to the second episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer Katie here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your hosts, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guests, Devin Kelly, George Sawaya, and Jared Marcel Pollock. Okay, so uh, we, we just did introductions and had technical difficulties, so now we're going to do introductions again, starting with Devin, again. Yes. Hello, I am Devin Kelly. Again. I, I am a writer and teacher living in New York City. I am the co-founder of the Reading Series and a graduate from the Sarah Lawrence College for Liberal Studies. Very liberal. That's good. That was much less begrudging than last time. Thank you. All right, Jared, you too. And say the thing about the fish and your mother again. Uh, well, uh, my mother is a fish. Okay, good. Um, now my name is my name is Jared Pollan. I also went to Sarah Lawrence College, class of 2015, with all the other fine uh, gentlemen you'll hear on this podcast. Um, I'm Canadian by birth, and at the moment, I'm currently living in Prague. By birth, we're gonna have to unpack that. Yeah. Later. Canadian by birth. That naturalized naturalized birth. I was I was popped out on Canadian soil. <laughs> all right, George. <laughs> Uh, I am George Sawaya. I am a novelist and poet who also went to Sarah Lawrence with these fine gentlemen, including the uh, the Canadian. I am currently <laughs> I'm currently serving three years in Florida because my girlfriend is in their MFA program. So I'm I've been pacing the muggy uh, swamp dongle of our country for about uh, half a year now. So my sentence is is Beautiful. is slowly winding down. I'm I'm making marks on my cell with a pack that I've managed to hide from the from the guards, which down here are wow. just yeah just alligators. They're the they're the guards. So there you go. Roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. That was a that was a, tide. a novel right there. There's there's <laughs> something there. There's a lot. Well, I am uh, I am Brian Birnbaum, uh, and I also went to Sarah Lawrence College, got my degree in fiction, class 2015. Let's raise our beers. Come on. Here, a little cheers, mm. everyone. That's what I mean. And to Katie, because uh, Katie's our lovely producer uh, of this beautiful podcast. Here, here. Also a Sarah Lawrence grad, yeah. so here, it's here, all in the family. So, uh, okay, moving on. <clears throat> now we uh, we must introduce our challenge. Yes. Okay. The challenge. The challenge is this. It's very simple. Uh, this brand. This hour's brand. Brand of fuckery is uh, brought to you by. Uh, I don't know. I. I would. I want to say moderation. Here. Here. So yeah, moderation. So we're just gonna drink beer and not be allowed to piss until we're done this podcast. I don't know. Should we have a rule on how many beers we have to drink? At least. At least three. Seven. At least. I was gonna say six. Six. We only have twelve, and Katie's having one. Yeah, well, four. I feel like I'm at a okay, slight four. advantage here because I'm drinking whiskey and it doesn't pass the, through the system nearly as speedily as beer does. So that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. fine. Cheating is acceptable. Okay. I already have to pee, and I'm not even drinking anything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I spend most of my okay, life anyway. doing is peeing. So uh, okay, so today we're going to talk about the literary industry, that great monolith that every writer beats their head against. So we're going to we're going to start with what is the present state of the industry? What do we think about it? Where is it going? Where is it now? What are its prospects? Devin, you go. Great. I I think the literary community is or the not the the industry, sorry. The literary industry is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing and it is doing a fine job of that. I think being a writer, an active writer in this moment can at times feel frustrating, especially if you are writing a kind of prose or 
I think mostly pros, which is what the industry makes money on, that is concerned more with art than sellability. I think the industry is part of capitalism, and capitalism often makes the idea of art a hard thing, often will will create an art that's sellable rather than art that some artists might be able to sort of respect or get behind. Anyone else want to chime in before I berate everything about the system? Yeah, well, the, the, the literary industry, much like any other industry, is at the mercy of the market. Even the industry itself obeys what it believes uh, the market is calling for and guiding them towards. Based on my experiences talking with people in the publishing industry, the logic is very circular. If they don't think a book is worth investing in, it's because they have no reason to believe that anyone's going to buy it. But there's really no data to support that because there are plenty of examples that we can think of where books that no one expected to do very well became very successful and then the standards of saleability became redefined. I mean, we see this all the time, but books that were sleeper successes or sort of grower successes with books like The Empathy Exams or with Leaving the Atoka Station, these were books that were published by small presses and now those writers have been picked up by mainstream presses are being and are being paid much larger figures for their work. And previously, the industry had no confidence in those writers. So it's it's a question of getting the right kind of attention for this work, which I agree, Devin, that there is this kind of dichotomy between saleability and artistic value. But the, the challenge becomes getting the attention to the extent that the industry will want to pay attention to you and reward that. Yeah, I also, I also think there's uh, something you said in the beginning, investing in the writers, right? And that's actually kind of like the mantra of what we want to do is invest in our writers because there's kind of no point in picking up a book that you're not going to invest in. Because I, I understand what you were saying, essentially, that so you know sometimes I won't even pick up a book because it's not worth investing in. But I see the you know the so-called mid-list on so many you know presses, imprints, you know bi- the bigger houses, etc. They basically pick up books and then don't publicize it. And you know I, that's not even circular thinking. It's kind of just this like road to nowhere that makes no sense to me. Yeah, the imperative the imperative seems to be very much on the ROI and not on the growth of the writer. I mean, there was a time when publishing houses invested in writers. Uh, I can't remember which publisher it was, George, you might know, um, paid Bukowski something like $35,000 a year to produce books for them, and he was a contracted writer essentially for that publisher for the rest of his life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can't, that's, I can't that's remember That's another that. thing we've been thinking of. Wasn't it Black Sparrow? I don't. I don't think that was a uh, like a big press, which is fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good example. I think he. I think he wrote for a book, uh, San Francisco, or maybe it was City Lights. I think it was a San Francisco press that just sort of invested in him. But it's a City good Lights? example. Yeah, the bookstore has a press, I think. Yeah. But it's a good example of how it's possible to invest in your writers. Um, I mean, I'm not a huge Bukowski fan, but it's a good example of of how he was a shit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> of how you don't like you can you can create an example of investing in your writers, even if you're not part of the mainstream industry. I could be wrong. I, I mean, but I do think I think that the people who published him were not huge publishers. What a what a brilliant model that is, though. I mean, like this idea of patronage, because I think really we we could all agree that all we really want to do is is write and and make a living off of it it doesn't even have to be like a like you know i don't think any of us are after stephen king money or you know garth money garth uh risk holberg money like i mean that would be great but i just i just want to <laughs> i thought you said golf money golf money i thought you said golf money i was like yeah i'm ready to film ready to hit the money. links <laughs> that phil mickelson tiger woods yeah that tiger spectacle woods money. john dale i'd be i'd be yeah. the john daly of the literary industry <laughs> 
That's it's John. A niche, Daly, it's a very niche reference. <laughs> yeah. No, no one should watch golf. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, I think any all any writer really wants, perhaps, I will say what I want. Uh, what I would want as a writer is the is the security to write my work and know that it will have an invested publisher. And the I would like to be taken seriously as a writer by at least a handful of people. Yeah, we all, we, you know, that, that brings up a good point. And uh, I have this as kind of like our next bullet point, but we can blend it into this one because we all have our own personal experiences with the industry. But you should, Devin, you should talk a little bit about, about yours, just considering the fact that I think it's kind of incredible that basically Devin has a book that a lot of presses are interested in, and yet it seems like they're only interested in it if the, he has another one ready behind it. Yeah, I well, as as I think that I I've I have a book in, in the works of essays and I've gone through the experience of trying to sell it along with an agent and uh it's that that experience is fascinating because because you realize that uh, it's it's not always about the quality of the work. It's sometimes sometimes people pass on it because the the work is not extremely relevant to the moment, which is understandable, though frustrating. And but I am in the the situation now where like the book is not buyable on its own. But I've had I've had people say that you should uh, that they would be interested in the book if there was another book to offer with it. And what about it is not viable? Yeah, that's my question. What about the my what, work? What, my, what would a, what would the other book do? This so-called second book that you release do to make the first book viable? Well, from, other than give you a platform? Yeah, from what I know, know about the industry, I, there's the sense that maybe it proves to it proves to publishers that you can you can write a second book, so that they're not risking an investment just on one. But what I, from what I do know about the industry, is it's it's simply a way, I think, for for publishers to get to get you to write two books for the price of one. It seems like that is the main reason. Two book deals are not unheard of. I mean, I think that they're they might actually be the norm now. Mm. That uh, especially if you have like a in fiction, if you have a story collection, story collections I've heard are, are quite hard to sell unless you have a novel attached to them, especially like like a finished novel or the bulk of a novel. And like that gets to Jared's point, I think, about this idea that like your point about sleeper books and books that, that surprise the industry is like uh, what was uh, Carmen Maria Machado's book, Her Body and Other Parties, like was the, uh, is still on the New York Times bestseller list. And, and I, I wonder... And she I, doesn't have a novel. My, my question is, yeah, because... because that won all like the Grey Wolf Prize for yeah. fiction or something. Grey Wolf picked it up and, and now it's... Well, to, to your first point, like, yeah, because I, I, I fail to see the efficacy of deciding how a book is going to do before you even try and put it out I, and, yeah. and, and, and wanting to pick it up in the first place. But that, that's the conversation we're having now. But I'm also curious in, do you, do you think that book, or do you know if that book blew up on its own merits without too much publicity f- firepower before it or did, did it did they throw their their uh their weight into it and then it kind of sure. like blew up you know well gray wolf is gray wolf is an indie press that's essentially it's a i would say it's a it's a big it's press, a big press masquerading as an indie press yeah. like at this point and i bigger think bigger than coffee house i'd say yeah. yeah and i think books like like jared you brought up empathy exams i think that books like that helped usher it into the sort of national conversation and I do notice with Grey Wolf that there are certain books that they sort of push. I also don't know if 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 she had an agent or a um, you can hire a publicist that yeah. like really. Well, that's pushed, why I asked the yeah, question. That pushed the book well, out I there. Well, I believe that uh, I believe that Grey Wolf no longer accepts unsolicited submissions, so that's an indication that they've reached the next level. Yeah, 
Yeah, right, right. And um, right. but I mean, I've heard nothing but. I, I mean, I, I've heard nothing but good. Th- I haven't read her body in other parties, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I think more so, regardless, it is a testament that like a story collection can sell, mm-hmm. which I it is there's a myth attached to publishing. I think now that like people don't want to read story collections; they want novels. Well, that, that's what that's what Jared Jared Jared's got a collection coming out with a political animal. What's their imprint called? Is it Crow's Nest? Crow's Nest Books. That's a Crow's Nest. A, yeah, yeah, an imprint at the University of Toronto Press. But the success of some short story collections by writers that we do know and are established, albeit in the past, you know, couple of years show that there is no basis really even even based on this kind of market logic that short story collections don't sell if you look at a book like train dreams by dennis johnson or uh 10th of december by george saunders which was a huge success i believe 10th of december was even nominated for the pulitzer and then uh alice monroe a couple of years ago won the nobel prize for her work and she's uh an exclusively a short story writer I guess so my question. Yeah, I don't know where publishers and agents alike, because most agents in their in their biographies sometimes they'll have a disclaimer saying I don't accept poetry or short story collections. It's not even on the menu. So I don't know where they. I don't know where that assumption comes from that people don't want to read short stories. Yeah, I mean the reason I brought that up is just basically because you know, for example, Atticus Lish. What's that book called again? Uh, Preparation for the Next Life from Tyrant. So it's from Tyrant. That book blows up out of the blue, but then. Since starting to reach out for to publicists to work with us, we realized that Lauren Sarand, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, she works with like several notable authors, and she's pretty big. If she made that book by herself, you know, is that really like a sleeper success? You know what I mean? Like she pushed it Who, out there. What, what does that mean? Like who's who's putting their book in, and then they're deciding, oh, this is good enough to get publicized? You know, all that. Yeah, I'd like your take on it, George. Like, what do you think it's fair what's happening now in the industry like what i i think maybe and what is the role of the artist in this industry is the role of the artist to navigate the industry it shouldn't be i mean i mean we we talked a little bit last uh podcast about how i mean really if you want to be a writer it's it's sort of the cheapest thing to get into you just need a piece of paper and a pencil or uh, a finger and a patch of dirt outside you can you can make your markings you know but when it comes to succeeding within the industry, uh, there is this sort of—I mean—I think this this gatekeeper system that doesn't exist in in any other sort of viable commodified art form. I, I, I don't think that it finds a counterpart in music. I don't think it finds a counterpart in uh, cinema uh, because I mean, cinema is just the same players. You know, it's not like uh, people say, "Oh, everybody's got a novel," and then nobody says everybody has a, a feature-length film in them right it's 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 a different undertaking uh so so here we are we're we're able to to get into the craft with almost no like overhead investment but when it comes time to disseminate what we create we found our we find ourselves sort of loitering in the shadows of these great towers where they you know these clattering machines pump out page after page and and we sort of have to audition and and it's certainly not a meritocracy i mean we know that uh, personally, right? We know that, that just because a book is good, a novel is good, a poem is good, a collection of short stories is good, genuinely, I mean, generally means next to nothing, honestly. It, it gets you it gets you one eye worth of attention, and then you've got to, to dance and start talking about market viability and timeliness and these other things, or like they did to you, Dev, where it's like, yeah, you've got one book, you got another. You know, like, what times are these? 
where where we have to sell these like a like a bogo buy one get one you know like they should just come wrapped together with a ribbon uh, you know the, there seems to be so little service paid to the writer of late and i think that's because as a creator we've fallen in esteem we're not you know we're not looked at like artists because these great publishing houses have over commodified the product and uh, and now you know just because you make it doesn't mean anything honestly unless you unless you're going to go win some awards or unless it gets picked up to be turned into a movie or unless you're writing about boy wizards sparkly vampires uh, really uh, subdued BDSM etc right there's just not a lot <laughs> there's just not a lot that the the public seems thirsty for you know uh, softcore softcore BDSM yeah yeah is, like that, is that possible softcore BDSM tender just, bindings yeah you know. gentleness yeah yeah. <laughs> Tender binding. I think we should all just. I think I think we should just all whisper that into the microphones. Wait, but the thing is, if if you have if you have tender, if you have BDSM, no, no, if you have softcore BDSM, like I can. Okay, so do you guys do you guys watch Billions? Has anyone seen Billions? No, I no, like Giamatti's no. character on Billions is into no. that shit. Yeah, okay, so he's into that shit. So like, I can see that they don't show like you know penetration. Is that like subdued BDSM? George, where have you experienced subdued G- BDSM? Oh, that's, that's, uh, I, I think, think he's referring to Fifty Shades of Grey. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I, actually, can I? I would like to play devil's advocate to your point, George, which I wholly agree with. Uh, but I, you know, some disagreement is palpable. Is not not no. That's the wrong. Some disagreement yeah, yeah, is good. Far too much, there's far too much agreement. Going. Yes, we <laughs> can, simply cannot be a a chorus of just gentle anger. Um, but yeah, let's bring out the like the gossip. But I like you your I mean? well, your point about like who are we to complain or this is my devil's advocacy. Like who are we to complain or judge? Like I I've seen I saw a Star is Born a couple weeks ago, which is like a multi million billion dollar film, mm-hmm. and quite enjoyed my time. Yesterday I ate at McDonald's for breakfast and lunch and Popeyes for dinner. Wow! And did my did my due duty of participating? Wait, McDonald's in, breakfast? Did you get? Wait, no. Did you at lunch? Did you get breakfast again? Yeah, and or did you no, get at lunch noon at, at noon I got an egg McMuffin and a hash brown. At four p.m. I got a four piece. Uh, I got the buttermilk tenders. Wow! And yeah, at, this, uh, this is demoralizing. <laughs> at eight p.m. I got the. At 8 p.m., I got the number three from Papa's. So uh, what is what is the literary version of uh, of that of of that, of that and yeah, <laughs> the, the Popeyes not, is yeah, great. Not like, to, yeah, the Popeyes number three, the chicken tenders, the egg McMuffin. Like what? What are we? <laughs> what are we putting yeah, out? Well, I think the egg McMuffin is like Harry Potter. I think it's 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 somewhat good for you. It's not that bad. For I you. might take offense to that because I actually really like. Well, Harry I Potter. enjoy Harry Potter. Maybe Harry Potter is wrong. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to offend that that large. J- Jared's that, got something to say. Okay, say that, that, Jared, that Jared, very, what, what do you got? Yeah, what do you that, say? that very large and rather prickly community. Of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. If you if you look at the three, if you look at the three, as far as I know, best selling books since the beginning of the millennium, they are the Harry Potter series. Uh, oh, this is good Harry. data. And and Fifty Shades of Grey. Da Vinci Code um, is good. Yeah, that's that's that only, should be <laughs> only only one of which is is any good, and those are the Harry Potter books. Okay, thanks for saying that, man. Yeah, and at some point, maybe today, <laughs> we should all talk about what what we mean by good. So no, oh, but this I, is perfect. He just named but, uh, three. He if, he just. But he, you named three things. Three things. So yeah. let's assign them to each. So yeah. Okay, then actually, I, I would say the McMuffin is Harry Potter because I think that's the only quality thing. You well, and I I actually I I I. 
I retract. I think Papa is is a fine establishment of it yeah, does exactly what it's supposed to do and it does it Here's the as thing. well as it can and if that seems to be the Harry Potter. If you've ever carried a briefcase, a a Popeye's made cardboard briefcase of fried chicken, you you haven't lived. It's true. Yeah. Or you haven't or you haven't descended into the, in the true yeah. depths of Yeah, far be it from us to to slander Popeyes. It's been good to all yes. of us. It has. Yeah. So basically I think 50 Shades of no, Grey is the egg McMuffin. Let's talk, let's talk about that story though real quick. Okay. Because yeah, I will always remember this because this is the this is the night before I broke up with my ex-girlfriend. Yes. And I think, you know, when you carry around a briefcase of Popeye's chicken, that's when you know. You're like, what, 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 you also, what, you, what have I, I done? I, I, you I, must change your life. We, you know, yeah, we were the real kid. That's the last line of a Roka poem right there. You also carried it. It wasn't just like you, you – it wasn't like you did the due duty of getting Popeye's for a party. Like you went out of your way to get this. You carried it like 20 blocks. Yeah. Did uh, I carry it? Yeah, we took the, so we we were the we metro. We, were we took drunk. the metro from Katie's place up to 125th. There and we go. by the time we were coming back, the, I, I don't believe the Metro was running anymore. Or if it was, it was on like yeah. a half hour basis. So we had to wait We've in the Metro. And um, the not only was it a briefcase, it was a briefcase that was in the shape of a barn. Like it had like a pitched <laughs> roof on it. That's right. Was. That's right. And the handle was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you re- if anyone remembers, uh, but we we all fought that night. Not and not in a not, not in an antagonistic way. We actually just physically we f- like sibling we f- sort of yeah, like you know three or four floors above the city. We just went. We went. We just we did, yeah. We we reenacted that that way that brothers and sisters. Yeah, that brothers and sisters go from play fighting into a hint of like slightly more forceful fighting. Yeah, that you realize that there is a lot of deep. There's yeah, deep seated rage <laughs> that like is is <laughs> laying underneath the surface of our relationship with all of us here. Yeah, real, it was a beautiful real moment. Were aired. But anyway, okay, yeah. So so okay. So what did you say was the egg McMuffin? I I now think I now think that and and I think George. I think you are the. I think I honestly think George and I are the best people to talk about this because I think we probably eat this stuff the most. Yeah. But I will but say I, McDonald's is, breakfast is the only fast food I'll eat. Sure. Oh yeah. And it's good. I think I totally it's absolutely. And wonderful. and I well I think your I think your question about its goodness. I think that the egg McMuffin is now Fifty Shades of Grey because it is sort of like it is a bland sandwich. It is the egg McMuffin. Yeah, it's like it is. It is a muffin. It's the tender BDSM. Yeah, it's also an appropriation <laughs> of a proper sandwich too. From what I understand, Fifty Shades of Grey began as Twilight fan fiction, and then it was sort yes of ah, mod- modified. That's, slightly. that's a good. That's a hard left. Yeah, that deepens like that deepens the uh, actual. Like it, this was a surface level conversation. That's now honestly that, that adds it some nuance. No, I'm I'm gonna say right now. I plan to put out a new blog post about uh, starting with a month of reviews of Hallmark films, and I will say that the mark of a ha- the mark the hallmark of a Hallmark film <laughs> is that it appears to be leading towards either a porno or a horror film, yeah. but it just never quite gets there. <laughs> but it's like it's like who wrote fifty who who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, who knows? Who knows? The, whoever James. wrote it. Oh, E.L. James. E.L. James. Say Darius so, someone, did that. Someone, someone not worthy of the abbreviation E.L. <laughs> they, they started writing Darius Rucker, who do, who do this you fan fiction, and they said, this is approaching this thing, but I'm, I'm not going to just approach it. I'm going to just start doing it. Who is he? Has anyone seen E.L. James? No. Is, is he or she real? She she's it's real. She. It's it's a she's she, real. and it, it is a pseudonym, uh, a nom de plume, from what I understand. I, okay, it is it is a pseudonym. Oh, that's upsetting. 
I was yeah. gonna egg the fuck out of their house. Um, <laughs> their mansion, but actually, their mansion. I, I mean, they live. They I, live I, in I, the I, biggest damn house wherever they wherever they are. Their house chalet. is is huge. Yeah, it is a castle. It is the castle that that subdued BDSM built. Yeah, make no oh mistake. I and I know that I know we'll get back to the literary industry, but I think that Brian's point about Hallmark movies. Brian and I and, and Katie as well had many a night in our old apartment where we would watch binge watch like Nick Cage films. Oh, yeah. And I I think that there is an unmitigated joy in doing that. And some of them are like quite good. Some are good and some are weird. Joe and, Joe was Joe great. was good. And some are a weird that film. you appreciate them. And I think that that's an that's an admirable quality for something being so weird or just out of place or strange. And I think, again, I, I don't know, it calls into, like, those are, well, actually, maybe this adds nuance to the conversation because some of those Nick Cage films are, are like, really low budget. But Yeah, but there is a pleasure. There's a pleasure in watching things like that in Hallmark movies or Nick Cage films or reading Fifty Shades of Grey that I think maybe shouldn't be lost on us or at least is is good to keep in consideration when we feel perhaps slighted by the industry. No, see, I think, I mean, I don't think that that's, uh, that pleasure that you described in watching that bad films, films that are so bad that they're pleasurable, that's something that I think does not carry over to literature. That's a, an important distinction between Interesting. literature and uh, in other mediums, I'm especially. Tr- yeah, as, I'm know, trying to I'll, think of an example. You know, like I'll, I'll watch like, you know, Predator or Snakes on a Plane or something like that and lay back and just be coddled you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and enjoy myself shamelessly. But I would never, I would never do that with a book. I would never dedicate, you know, a week or two weeks to my life to a book that is absolute garbage because it delivers this kind of shameful pleasure. Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting though? Like, I mean, think of all the good actors who are in bad films and who have I, most good actors, even Daniel Day-Lewis did nine, which sucked. It would I be interesting. because he wanted to do a musical. I think he wanted to yeah. sing. But I, 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 it would be funny to me if, if like, if if I don't know, name your name name your favorite literary fiction author, and like every three books they had, like if Don DeLillo threw one, like purpose, like he has some books that aren't as great, but like purposefully just wrote a bad book. Are we, but are we talking about <laughs> are we talking about like a pot boiler, or are we talking about like literal trash? I don't know. Well, I just did like, that. Yeah. yeah, so did him. Under a pseudonym, oh. and they wrote for Hollywood as well. The writers like yeah. Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Faulkner, uh, Vidal—they all wrote screenplays for Hollywood films, and none of them took it seriously. It was just had, a paycheck for those. They, had, a de- had, they had the decency to well, hide you had, themselves. You had Cormick write that, right? Exactly. So this, so this, this reinforces the distinction that I'm, that I'm trying to make, which is that yeah. you can't really do that with any kind of integrity with literature. You know, like literature is not a medium that lends itself to that kind of shameful play where you can read like a trashy book and still enjoy it on some kind of you know, debased level. Yeah. You can do that with the cinema. You can watch a two-hour film like Sharknado or something <laughs> like that, and derive a lot of and, and derive a lot of shameful pleasure from it. But I think it's understood, maybe just because of the history of literature, because where literature has come from, it's come from a different place than the cinema. The cinema, when it first became a an art form, was regarded as a as a vulgar form. It was regarded as a mass form it wasn't taken seriously it took time to sort of earn its credentials as a serious art whereas we've always taken literature to be a serious art so we don't look for that kind of shameful pleasure well i, I would say that we that's don't point. that's a good point Jerry. there are a lot plenty of people plenty of people go and 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 after having worked at a library for just shy of a decade like plenty of people come in wanting the trash you know 
a, a lot of a lot of even very avid mm-hmm. readers love to come. I mean, we we checked out more Harlequin romance novels about immortal Highlanders or uh, dudes that rode motorcycles but were also werewolves than than we checked out in poetry. And like, <laughs> I mean, I, it, that that kind of that kind of shit flew off the shelf. You know, that's sort of the the equivalent of the of the of the Hallmark movie or the Nick Cage movie, right? Just these. Like or sort of the the, the action rompers. I'm thinking uh, Lee Child, who just had what's the name of his titular marine yeah. character. I mean, once that movie came out, uh, those things you can keep those things on the shelf. Ja- isn't he Jack Reacher? Jack Reacher. That's who I'm thinking about. Isn't Lee Child Jack Reacher? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I saw he he gave a he was at a he had a book giveaway at a minor league. Oh baseball yeah, that's game. right. That was, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm really upset you didn't. I'm really upset you didn't bring copies home for us. Uh, but but there's an intersection right there that yeah. almost that almost is kind of like a a, co- a caveat in what Jared was saying. Yeah, uh, say, like basically those books are trash. But they aren't they most of the market literary fiction. I yeah. believe like when I last looked at a pie chart a long time ago, literary fiction is a small slice of the market. Oh yeah. It and has to be. I, I think I, I you, bet it you always can probably speak better to that as you just did, George, because I think you more so than any of us have been engaged with like the public outside of writers as a librarian. Oh yeah. And have a better have a better sense, I think, of, of just anecdotally what, what people want. Oh, you know, it's it's great to work in a library because you can sort of witness on the street level the average reader's relationship with the publishing industry. And what it is that they're checking out, and what it is that they want. One out of ten people, uh, if they asked for a recommendation from an adult services librarian, probably wanted something literary. That's I, I would say about one out of every ten people wanted yeah. the book that they saw uh, that was nominated for a Man Booker. Or I'm I'm sorry, George. Hold on. An adult services librarian sounds very conspicuous. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. That sounds very soft core, uh, subdued, subdued BDSM. Bondage. Yeah, we're we're subdued after hours librarian. <laughs> I, I mean, hell, I mostly peddled smut, so I might as well have been like some kind of illicit. Behind the beat. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the Harlequin stuff, uh, that was most of what we had, you know, most of what flew off the shelf yeah. was the the Immortal Highlanders for Christmas. Those are like the Christmas sex novels with the Immortal Scotsman. That was big. And uh, and just pretty much every variation on that on that theme hot guy you know the throbbing member literature really <laughs> that's yeah that's it yeah. that's the title of this uh of this episode the throbbing the throbbing member, throbbing the throbbing member. member. <laughs> but no i i, I want to finish this though i want to finish we got the egg mcmuffin is uh wow we are still on this yeah no yeah there's not like so i want to bring it back to literary fiction but let, well, okay let's be quick okay okay yeah let's let, no, we'll come back to this at the end. You go on literary fiction. Well, I, I, okay, so and I want and I want to talk about a little bit more of our experiences too, just because yeah. you know I think our experiences. I don't think it's a coincidence that all of us have been met with resistance. Oh wow, we're, our producers are asking us to check in with, with everyone's bladder situation. What's, Should be like between one and ten. Ten is Niagara Falls. I'm at holding I'm, back Niagara Falls. I'm at a two. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, fi- I'm, I'm, at- I'm perfectly fine, but I'm running low on whiskey. But you, well, you assign a fucking number, Jared. Mm-hmm. I'm at like a like a 1.5. I'm very okay. low. Wow, I think I'm, we need to start drinking more. I'm probably at a three and a half. I'm on my second beer. I I'm think. on my third. Your third? Okay, I gotta catch up. George, how are you? I, I think I'm right. I'm right about there with you, Dev. Three and a half, which is unusual because normally I'm uh, at any given point of the day I'm at least a six. Like I can pee. I can pee at any second of the yeah. day. 
but I am a compulsive hydrator. Yeah. No, I wanted to bring him back to because I do think some sort of like there is like a I, I think it's justifiable to feel like a bit, especially as as a literary fiction or just a literary writer, a more focused literary writer in general to to feel slighted by the publishing industry. And I I saw this. I generally am, am not one to, as everyone knows, to start like, condescending <laughs> conversations. Yeah. But I did see this. I saw someone, someone reputable post this on Twitter, so I feel okay. Okay, asking it. What was the most maybe hyped up book in the past few years that was supposed to be really, really good mm. and just wasn't? Yeah, I mean, that's easy. And I don't know if, yeah, Katie's nodding her head. Yeah, but I can we all... Are do, you thinking of City on people, Fire? Yeah, okay. I'm okay. So I actually thought City on Fire was actually decent. I thought it was good. I actually I actually thought it was I thought it was good. Maybe but, also yeah, juxtaposed I, with one that is also this is me being a, a, a good person, juxtaposed with one that was quite good. Like juxtaposed with with a hyped up book that actually met the standards oh, oh, that you okay. ascribe to, to good literary oh, fiction or, or nonfiction. Oof, oof, that's tough. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have an idea? JK Rowling came out with what, what? A, uh, a an adult like a more adult focused book. <laughs> oh uh, god. What was it called? Uh, uh, Sense of an ending? The Popeye's chicken of writers. <laughs> Sense of an ending came out. And people were were backflipping into the library to grab a copy, and almost as quickly as they went out, <laughs> they poured back into the library. It was like a it was like a, a wave at at, uh, at high and low tide. Like they came in, and then they dropped the book on their way out. Like they didn't even check it out. They got through the first three pages. <laughs> yeah. They let it fall to the floor, and they continued mid-stride wherever they were going. That was a huge, uh, I think, critical and commercial failure. And then they went and made it into a movie, of course. Well, didn't she didn't she release, didn't she release the book under a pseudonym, and then yes. they had to reveal that it was actually J.K. Yeah. Rowling who had written it to try and <laughs> That's exactly what they did. Yeah. And that's which, when... And that's, and that's you, when... I mean, which, which does... It tells you the author is not dead, but the author still has cultural currency. Yeah, yeah no, that's when, that's when Kirkus comes back and says the book was actually good. Yeah. But I'm also more... <laughs> inter- I'm more interested in books that were like... That are that are being billed as sort of literary fiction or literary nonfiction. Like I think I think Jared, you brought up a good example with Leslie Jameson. I read Empathy Exams. I really loved one of my favorite books of essays. I read her book The Recovering, which came out from Little Brown and was was much hyped, and found it to be like I thought that the writing was was wonderful and 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 the story as well. But I found it to be like 200 pages too long and grew kind of, it felt like a slog to get through. To me, the best book that came out that met the hype in like the last five or 10 years in terms of literary fiction was uh, What Belongs to You by Garth Greenwell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, quoted, really, I quoted that book in an essay. I, I love yeah. that book. Um, which I which I have I have not read. But he what brought, about uh, what about what about Zero K? What about DeLillo's latest ooh, novel? Um, I, Jared, see, I love that you brought that up because I put that book down like you put down purity. Yeah, but you it's know also, what I mean. I, I I said fuck this. You're not you're I fuck this. Let's let's talk about this. This yeah. is great. I but, love this. But that book also didn't get much hype to begin with anyway. But he's Don. He's yeah, Don. He's so Don. Don. I, well, no, I mean that was that was Delillo's first book in like 7 years. Yeah. He got a lot of hype. Well, maybe people realized that it wasn't that great and I feel like that that the hype wasn't that long lasting if there was any hype. Did you like it, Jared? Um, I have to confess, I haven't read it. I just brought it up because I thought it'd be good for the conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I actually, I, I, I'll admit. I mean, you know my feelings on Delillo. I think, I think he peaked with White Noise. I don't know. Zero K was just <laughs> he, he peaked thirty years ago. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just, 
I just think like uh, he he's he's a he's an American treasure in the industry. You know what I mean? So like his his name's gonna be consecrated on whatever he puts out. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's like a pantheon of of great American writers like DeLillo, Tony Morrison, right, Cormick, who are still alive. Tony Morrison, the first I think the first black Tony- person to win a Nobel Prize. I'm pretty sure, a pol- or a, or a, or a Pulitzer. Fact Wanna, check that. Yeah, fact check that for us, please. And she just she has a book coming out. I think of essays. Yeah. But there's like a pantheon of great American fiction writers, who are sort of in that like consecrated state where where people will buy whatever they put out. I don't think maybe and this is maybe something to talk about as well to add to the continued list. I don't think I think one thing about our industry that's different now is that it doesn't allow for that. There's mm. very few, like, you have Roxanne Gay, you have a few people who are, like, in No one's their, a superstar. Yeah, you have a few people no who are, like, in their, mid, yeah. in their mid-career right now who you mm-hmm. can see will be putting out books for their rest of their lives. But it's I'm hard-pressed to name, like, it, it just seems like people just put out books and then sort of wither away, um, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flame take out. A, I'm going to take a leap right here. I mean, this this might even qualify as a tangent. I was watching someone, some scientist on Joe Rogan's podcast talk about talk about how close we are to basically fizzing, f- figuring out physical reality. And I, I wonder if there is any. Uh, oh, okay. We got we got a, fa- a fact check coming in. First black woman to win a Nobel Prize. Okay, yeah. So Toni Morrison. Which I love John Thompson's quote by the way. John Thompson, coach of the uh, Georgetown George Hoyas, the great Patrick Ewing. Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was, was, he, was he? Was he? Yeah, yeah. Was he there? Uh, that was later. But anyway, you know, John Thompson was the first black coach to win a national championship. I'm pretty sure. And he said, "Doesn't mean that I was the first black coach that was able to do so. I was just the first one given the opportunity." And I, I think that's well. very important to be noted. Coach. Anyway, his we shall son, continue. His son, not so good. Do we, my, what I what I want to talk about real quick is: Do we think that language is on the verge of becoming almost irrelevant as a truth giving? sequence because of science but at the same time (laughs) because 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 physics is but here here's the caveat physics is not being disseminated to the masses or taught in schools as it should be we don't know what's going on in the latest realm of physics like 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 string theory einstein kind of shit is like almost old hat by now like we know that it's a it's a it's a it's a very flawed theory and there's a lot of stuff that we know now that no one else knows. Yeah. I see George looking furtively around. Look at look at J- yeah, Jared's <laughs> like, like fuck you. Jared's Jared's ready to answer. George is is maybe George is ready. No, I just don't know. I, I do. Is this really really? Is this really where we want to go with this mm. conversation? Well, I, absolutely. I, 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 I was thinking more along the lines of: Do we think that like language in in prose, in the in the in the literary landscape publishing landscape do we think that language is valued as a way to be excited or to move through a book of of fiction or 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 non-fiction well i will i will say this much uh, it's 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 less to brian's point but more to the point of what we've been talking about thus far which is about you know the the relevance that these books have in the culture and what value the publishing industry gives them you, you talked about you know hard science, Brian, and there certainly is a market for the hard sciences in the publishing industry. You have writers like Richard Dawkins and Brian Greene and Steven Pinker and Lawrence Krauss who all write these popular books about physics and the culture devours them. So there certainly is a market for that and these, the people who write these books, people like Richard Dawkins, have some kind of status in the culture. They go around 
the country. They go around the world and they speak in auditoriums and they sell out these theaters. And they're, you know, public intellectuals. That's something that we can't say for the literary world. Sure. Um, there was a time when we, when we had people like Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal, who, people who went on late night TV and talked to Johnny Carson or Merv Griffin, and they had some kind of standing in the culture. People cared what writers thought. People no longer really care what writers think. I can't remember the last okay. time I saw somebody well, I mean, like that like that on a, a late night talk show. It's much more likely to be um, a scientist now engaging with yeah. the culture in that way than than a fiction writer. And that shows you how truly little people are interested in what fiction writers think now. Yeah, I mean, I will say I think that I think your point is apt when it applies to fiction. I know that like regardless of like what you think of her writing. I know that Roxane Gay is a contributing editor for the Times. I actually, my favorite things that Roxane Gay writes are her New York Times op-eds. There are some, some of her books I don't particularly enjoy as much as other books. It's about as mean a thing I'll say. <laughs> but I, re I do, I always, I know that when she is, I think, a really apt commentator and a breath of fresh air on the New York Times opinion page. But I agree with your point that I, I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, that, that she is, she got her literary merit with Bad Feminist, which was a book of essays, even though she had written, I think, a novel and a book of stories, or at least a novel before that. And I think that society does not value fiction writers to the extent that it values any other writer. I'm, I'm really curious. We haven't heard from George in a while. Let's hear from yeah, let's, So, George, you go first after I ask this. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious as it's to whether... It's called cold whether... calling in the teacher industry. What's that? What it's called cold calling. Cold calling? Yeah. It's a good way to increase class participation. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, George, I am cold calling. Fair you. enough. I'm not really good at sales. I'm not good at sales, so we'll see how this goes. But uh, I'm, is, I'm really interested in... Whether we think the the industry's worse off than it was before, when it was more central to the culture, and you know, as we were just saying, or is it just, or is it just less popular compared to other mediums such as film and and TV and stuff like that? Uh, well, I mean, I think you see the same thing with literature that you see from uh, music, from the music and the movie industries. Uh, there is, there is a, I mean, the 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 more easy it becomes to disseminate this content into the world for it to be purchased and consumed and, and have more purchased and more consumed. I think you see this sort of uh, a tremendous inflation as far as, as how much content is being produced, right? I mean, when you say, is, is the industry better now than, than it was? I, I think it's bigger. I think it's much bigger. I think it's the biggest it's ever been. I think that's the same for, you know, streaming video services and the content that they produce. Netflix comes to mind, of course, Amazon. And it's the same for uh, for music. I mean, I think now probably there is more music available uh, right now that has been produced over the last 20 years than was ever available in the whole history of our species before that. I, I would I would hazard sure. I would hazard that that's yeah. that's almost certainly true, right? Is the industry probably more so than that? Yeah, yeah, like is the industry is the industry better now? I think I mean, and of course, you guys have a little more familiarity with the industry, given that you know you, you live in New York, you you interact with agents and and publishers more often than I do. But to me, it seems like the the thing that most imperils the literary market is the sort of centrality of so many of its bigger players and to to re I mean, to 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 re-mention Amazon again like i mean people the, the publishers are so big and so few 
And and that seems to me more than anything to be uh, what is throttling some of the creative bursts that that that, that we see in in the literary market. You know, if, if I have a band, I can just put my music up on Spotify. You know, straight straight yeah, straight and, from and, yeah. me to them. And I mean, of course, as an author, you have the recourse; you can self-publish. <laughs> but the taboo in the industry is still so is so heavy and so it's so present. And and even so, like if if you're not going to get it put on sure. paper. Like you want, you want a paper book. That's the dream, right? Don't we all have that dream of getting the box with the novel in it, cracking it open and pulling one out and smelling it, smelling the paper? You know, I, you can you can turn it into uh, digital content, no problem, and and try and sell it. But you know, unless you are Devin, again, Devin's, hold, Devin's holding up his published book. He's got it. Very nice. You got it. You got to have Devin it. the box. Yeah, and also uh, just real quick, we need to, we need to check in on everyone. Uh, Devin has held up a sign saying that he has to pee. I do have to pee. I have, I have so gone from a three to a. I have gone from a three to probably a seven, a quite seven. quickly. I'm wow, on my fourth. I'm on my that's fourth pretty, beer. That's, that's pretty high. Yeah, that's pretty high. I don't. I don't. I don't know if you're like crying wolf here, man. That's that's pretty serious. Maybe a six. I've gone to. There's okay. a tingling in my bladder. I'm a, I'm at a four or five. A, okay. I'm gonna say that. I can feel it. It's at like you know. I could. We, how, how anatomical can we get right now? I could pee. I'm I'm a I'm a five. Yeah. I'm wow. still at a five. Wow. Okay. All right. So everyone could. P if given the chance right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could. <laughs> yeah. You know, George, I was thinking oh, though know. about your point. To me, the best way that I can describe the literary industry right now, the literary fiction publishing industry monolith, is that and one of my big gripes with it is that the I think the con like the the conversation of the world outside of literature whether that be economics, politics, social relations, I feel that the conversation is guiding the publishing and the writing more than the writing yes. is is given credit to guide the conversation. Yes, Definitely. you can even see you can even see past leaders. Uh, and past I, leaders were very eloquent and very literate. Yeah. Now we have Donald Trump who can't string yeah. together five and, words without making gr- and a grammatical And the problem error. with that is the the problem with that for me more so is actually like is actually with books like uh, one of the nonfiction bestsellers of the past year or two was uh, this book called Hillbilly Elegy, which is just a shitty book. It's a nonfiction book about this this uh, you know Appalachian raised born guy J D Vance who goes to Yale and is essentially just talking down to everyone who he everyone that he is comes like everyone from his the community he was born in like it's essentially like a a you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you really tried book yeah, yeah, yeah. and the thing the problem with that is not as much that he wrote the book that the like you you know that the reason that that book was published was because we are in the midst of a potential Trump election and that people wanted stories about Appalachia and this is what they got. They got the cookie cutter, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, everything ties in with the American dream, like idealization of it rather than the hard truth of it. And that's what happens, I think, when conversation guides publishing more so than people believe in voices and writers to guide the conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's that's why when you were talking about how it's tough to publish something that's not topical, when we were talking about when you needed two books, yeah, you know, for the price of one, that that's always struck me as pretty insane. I mean, I know it works. I know books sell if they're topical. Yeah, but at the same time, a unique idea rarely comes from something that's necessarily like in vogue. My personal opinion is that I think the industry knows what it's doing because they know how to make money. But they would almost be better off just cutting literary fiction out of their aims 
because they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And indie presses should just ha- ha- take care I, of it from I now think, on. Yeah, you know? I think everyone would be better off. Right. Well, I think I think the fact that indie presses are sort of uh, taking it upon themselves to publish serious literary work has relieved larger presses of the responsibility yeah. of having to do they that. They can publish their textbooks, and, you know. Yeah, and I mean, we all we all know the way this goes. I mean, this has been the case in the mainstream publishing world for a long time now, where similar to big movie studios, they invest most of their money in a few big releases every year. The equivalence of what like the Avengers might be yeah. for a movie studio. Mm-hmm. You have big summer releases, and then you have the few sort of respectable fall release titles um, from writers like Jonathan Franzen and Toni Morrison. The sort of Oscar season for for books kind of releases and publishers keep those writers to maintain credibility and to get accolades and to get literary awards attached to their press. And that's pretty much it. It's a very small pile of money that's reserved for those kinds of writers. It's maybe like, you know, 1% of their budget. And it's, and it's to keep, it's to keep face in the literary world to maintain Mm -hmm. some kind of respectability. But the number of new writers, debut writers that big presses invest in every year is, I mean, practically nil. Yeah. If the stories are to be believed and if our personal experiences are indicative of anything. Yeah, and they will very promptly jettison an author if their book doesn't sell. Like exactly. My favorite, one of my, my, one of my favorite writers is, uh, who we had read, is uh, Noy Holland, mm-hmm. who is yeah. a, a great example of someone who is almost entirely concerned with language. And I believe her first book was a book of stories called The Spectacle of the Body, which was published by FSG and never made paperback i think the hardcover never sold enough and after that i believe all of her books were published by a smaller imprint and she went on to edit for a small i think fiction collective a smaller imprint and like just sort of like understood that like okay the literary world that the mainstream publishing world is not for me so I'm going to create the space for authors who write like me. Yeah, it's like the music industry. Yeah. They all just they all just took control of it. Yeah, well, I think as, as important as the mainstream literary industry has been for, for decades, when it comes to serious fiction, it is sometimes overstated in terms of the posterity of works, that it, the posterity that it can confer upon works of art. So, for example, many of the great modernist texts that are now staples of any literature program or writing program were books that were published by essentially small presses at their time. Sure. Like, for example, Ulysses, Ulysses was published by the bookstore Shakespeare and Company in Paris, and the first printing of Ulysses was 500 copies. Wow. And it was sent most. It was sent mostly to critics and to friends of Joyce's, people like Ezra Pound and Gertrude Stein, yeah. who reviewed it. Kafka, when uh, his first collection of stories was published here in Prague, I believe it was published only in the Czech Republic, and something like 100 copies were printed. Yeah. And Kafka bought like 99 of those copies because he was terrified that no one else would buy them, so he bought them first before anyone could that's a pretty good idea yeah what about your book <laughs> yeah, george yeah george george what yeah what what about uh, so I, I you're working on a new one now but what about the one that you kind of shelved because you did pass that around the suit you know to the to the suits a little bit didn't you uh well the the first book got sent to the suits this last one is is in the cooler at the moment and i'm busying myself with a small one in the meantime just something to keep me busy but, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm terrified of writing uh, my query letter because, like, I, I don't know how to tell these these people who are, who are interested in my writing as a product what the hell I'm doing, right? I, that it, it terrifies me. Like, uh, of, of the last book, I've, I've been working on some drafts of a query in my head, and I'm fairly sure I'm going to tell them. I, I mean, I probably won't, but, it, but I want to tell them 
that it is the action adventure uh, encyclical of a dying future religion with hints of you know neo western and Arab futurism. But who the hell's going to buy that? Like they don't want they don't want that book. You know, <laughs> I mean it's it's wild because yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean I feel like in, in a query letter, it's like you have to you have to like almost guarantee that the reader is yeah. going to have an orgasm when yeah, they read the book. You know, you know? it's you like know? it's like you can't really say what the book is about you have to say like what this is where you're you know this is where yeah. all your hopes and dreams lie yeah you know? and you know what that makes me think and you have to say and you have to cite existing works of fiction that are comparable to yours you know like you know we all know this from writing career letters and there's no right answer there's none right and you know if you have a yeah if you have a you know a novel and the novel fits roughly a description of another novel that's been published in the past couple of years you want to put in your query letter to your agent you know, this book is a lot like this book, and it will probably appeal to the same market. Sure. You can only yeah. pitch. You can only pitch your work on the basis that it's like something else that has previously been successful. Yeah. There's yeah. no confidence. And I and that's actually the same too as someone who's worked on a book proposal for nonfiction. That is, you have there is an entire section of your book proposal that is like a page long description of other books that have sold and how they've sold that are related to your book. And why yours is different, but also why yours will sell like theirs, and you have to write that yourself. It's crazy, which is understandable. But, but at yeah. the same time, going back to yeah, go go ahead. George. I just I, ahead. I, I feel like George. I feel yeah, like that is ready. that is such a, a shitty burden to put on the on the author. It right? is like I'm I'm the last person you should be it asking Don't ever about the market viability of the shit that I'm writing. Right? Like, how do I know? How, do, how am I supposed yeah, to know? just put me in a room? You know, just just read the book. Read the book, and if it's good, how about this? You publish it. I don't. I don't know why. You know. I mean, <laughs> you can you can do a small run. Like you don't, you don't have to. Simple criteria. If the book is good, uh, a fucking print yeah. it. You know, like what's what's the holdup? Why do I have to yeah. come to you with independent like market research? Idea. Like that's yeah, just just make fucking two hundred <laughs> of them. You know, put them in one sh- in one store. Print it. You know, what's the problem? <laughs> that's not bad. No, yeah, I book, mean books that uh, matter. Uh, books yeah. that matter is our current one, but but you know if it's good, print it. That's if it's know, good, I, I print like it. That. We should no. We should get a. We should get focus groups and put them in a room and just hold up books. Just, yeah. just with their cover. Just throw, throw the book their at their heads. Head. You know, see, like, yeah. how did it feel when that book hit you? Was that nice? Well, that's pra- that's practically what you have to do. I mean, liter- literature stands apart from other popular art forms in the sense that a-, a book is not apprehendable at a glance. You can walk into an art gallery and you can look at a painting and it takes a second and you can say that you like it or you don't. Yeah. Or you can go to a photo blog and you can quickly survey someone's work and judge it very quickly. Yeah, You can do the same with graffiti. It takes two hours on average to watch a film. It takes three minutes on average to listen to a song. Literature is the only medium that requires more time and more energy than virtually every other art form. Yeah. So it's at a disadvantage. Just just by virtue of speed alone, it's at a disadvantage. Yeah. I had two quick things to say. First is I want to jump in on, on your point, George, about your book. And it made me think of a, a good friend of ours, uh, Leland Chuck, who runs a another yeah. small press called uh, 38, not 3 a.m. To 713. Sorry. 3 a.m. is a magazine. Yeah. 713 books. And I remember I interviewed him for the millions and talking about this very thing. And he told me a story about how and, and his his philosophy, I think, is very similar about publishing books that, that might not get a lot of play in the industry because they're not relevant, but are still. Or, re- or, or because it takes a modicum of activation energy in order yeah. to get into it. And you know? but he he what struck me once was that he he turned down I think like his favorite book he read on submission 
because he wanted it to get published by someone bigger. Oh, I remember that story. Would. This was yeah. about a, a Kansas dystopian. It like was like a Kansas. Kansas dystopian Islamic state yeah, book like, written like a, a Middle Eastern author, and yeah, and, yeah. and he he said it was, it was so good he can't publish it. Right, like he was right. like, this is so good that you're going to get an agent. It's an honorable going, thing to do. Fuck, you're going yeah, to get an agent <laughs> and you're going to get published. And honestly, I I would love to follow up with him. I want to know if he did. I don't know if he did. Because it, honestly, it would be a sad yeah. state. And it would it would be. Let me you know no let me let me no let me give a good example about this. You know the next book we're going to publish are actually our our former thesis advisor David Hollander's novel, and he hasn't published anything since the turn of the millennium, and that's because he gives books to agents and editors that just. They they can't get past some fear of dic- difficulty. Yeah, um, you know. Well, yeah, he's, he's been. Yeah, okay. My, yeah, my our I producers mean, he, are he telling the, us that he he's been published. He's been published plenty library. since then, but he hasn't published a novel since yeah. then. Yeah, since Lie, which was a fantastic book, and I just read a draft of the novel we're going to put out, and it's incredible. But there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the reaction that these editors gave him has to be the same as uh, the reaction that. All, that all the editors gave Sergio de la Pava when Naked Singularity came out, that behemoth of a, like a ba- yeah. basically modern day Ulysses. I mean, it's just impossible to get past that that resistance. And I think it's very telling that in an email back to me when I said when I gave him my notes, he said that he gave me quote word for word a quote from the longest response he got from any editor, and it was just it was like two paragraphs. Hmm. You know, that was it. That's the most effort they're willing to put into this kind of stuff. And it's like, there are people out there looking for this stuff. Yeah. It's just that no one wants to believe that they don't want to deal with it because they have a lot of other money makers. And, you know, this is, this is bringing back to why I think it's got to be outsourced at this point. It's got to be, it's got to be like, you know, Jay-Z revolutionized music with Rockefeller, with the rock. Like Mm -hmm. that was it. And then the Kanye followed suit and everyone. And like, it's the same thing with literature. It's just going to take a long time just because of, just like Jared said, it takes a long time to read a book. Yeah. That's and it. None of it makes sense, too. Because people still love long, like, A Little Life, right? It's like 900 pages. It was on the City new- on Fire was 900 yeah, pages. That's but, a lot of why it, why it caught yeah. flack, which I actually thought, you know, I just yeah, want to say little, real quick. A Little Life sold better. Anya, I forget the name. The one with the face on the cover crying. You know A Little Life. I've Look actually never up. heard of this book. You never heard of A Little Life? No, I have not. The crying face on the cover? No. Bring it up. It's like 900 pages. It was on the bestseller list. Everyone loves it. People still read it. There it is. How, when did it come out? It's got 4.3 out of 5 on Goodreads. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, because I think 3.9 is the... Yeah, 3.9 is by far the median. Or like 3.5. Came out came out in 2015. Okay, yeah, yeah that's 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 what we're, we're getting. I'm getting word in my ear. Yeah. Breaking news. Came out in 2015. Yeah, planes landing in planes the distance. Land, yeah, yeah, we're... The FAA is all over yeah. this, you know, this we're good. Is, yeah, well, the publishing the publishing industry is no different than any other industry in the sense that it really doesn't, it doesn't assume that its audience is that smart. I mean, the industry condescends right. to its consumers all the time by assuming that they can't handle the truth, a certain, <laughs> level, a certain level of work, <laughs> that they can't handle the truth, yeah. or that they, they can't handle a certain level of it's work. It's run by a few good men. That's the yeah. problem. That's the goddamn yeah, problem. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> there are a few bad men. <laughs> But it's been but it's been shown like empirically if you market a book correctly, even if you market a big book uh, like Infinite Jest as a challenge to the reader, as as a kind of dare, it's a book that will get people's attention. And unfortunately, because of that, Infinite Jest has become this kind of book now where like most people don't actually read it, but they have it on their bookshelves as a kind of badge of honor. They won't right. be seen reading it, but they haven't actually read it. But strategically, you know, if you're uh, in the marketing department of a big publishing company, you can do that. You can pitch a big, difficult book 
to readers with some success. Oh yeah, definitely. And and you know what? And and honestly, I think I think the reason City on Fire failed commercially relatively, I think. But I know it didn't do as well, nearly as well as the advance and all that must have hoped for. Basically, when I heard Garth read for the first time and I heard him speak and I was in his class, he taught at Sarah Lawrence, I was like, wow, this guy is a fucking genius. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy wants to be the next Don DeLillo. I think he can do it. Like, I think he's there. But then I read his book and I'm like, you're hedging right now. The prose is very watered down. The story's good. The language yeah. is pretty at times. We also don't know how much was altered by editors. We don't know that. We don't know that. We have no idea. Yeah. But at the same time, this is a this is a novel he puts out. And and even, even our director of our MFA program, Brian Morton, said he was surprised at how generous he was. And to me, I took the, like, how it was sublimated in my yeah. body was like, that's a euphemism for... You didn't nut up and really just like do what you could do, you know? Yeah, I, I which which interesting to me, and this sort of it. I've I've been getting more into, as everyone knows, getting in, more into journalism. I've had many, not many. I've published a few journalistic pieces in the in the past. He, ju- he just reported on Christmas trees. Yeah, it's coming out. I I think that a lot of this also makes me think of as someone who's gotten into journalism. I've had many like a few pieces published where I came up with and this is like I think tied into the belief that I think a lot of us have touched on that like I think Jared you said it that that the industry sort of condescends to the individual. I like wrote a piece about uh, for the outline about this guy who's been tracking humpback whales in New York City. It was mostly about this guy. It was sort of a profile of this guy and, and of the whales. And I had a title for it. I forget what it was. But then they, they send me the link when it's published. And then the, the title is just like whale watching in New York City. And this happens all the time with, with people who are publishing journalistic pieces is they, they throw in a title that they think matter And like a... And it's just the title. We're, like we're not even talking about the bulk of the, the prose. Who's gonna click on that? Yeah, and it's all like the, the clickbait sort of culture that we live in. The retweet culture where we're just like retweeting things that we see on the timeline, as opposed to clicking on the link and reading everything. Right. The amount of times I've had a title changed, is fascinating to me. And the and the titles that they're changed to become far more generic. And I get it. I get it because you get money off clicks. You actually, it's like a data driven thing. You want more people to click on your links, which <laughs> sounds weird. <laughs> but but like, I feel like that's almost like a hedge yeah. for like people that are getting off on whale yeah. watching, like voyeurism or something. Like, <laughs> tender like, whale BDSM. Like bestiality. <laughs> I think, yeah, I was going to say that sounds like tender BDSM. Yeah, tender. <laughs> humpback whales. Humpback whales are beautiful. Click on the links. God, but, I have uh, to take a piss. Yeah, so I, badly. yeah the, the piss is. <laughs> But I, I think that I'm at. Uh, I'm, but by the way, I'm at. I'm at a solid six, possibly I'm a at, seven. I'm at a, definitely an seven and a half, eight. Yeah. Okay, we're reaching like breaking point. This is like the Vesuvius yeah. here for ten. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm. I mean, I can make it another. I'm. We're also past an hour, so we understand now that everything we're saying is is going to at some point get cut. But I. Anyway, my point is that I think so much of this conversation is, and I think we could talk about this for a long time. It's both about the nature of the industry. It's about the nature of other industries. I think like like journalism. I think it's about the nature of things like Twitter and uh, social media. And are we experiencing a dumbing down of culture? I don't think we're experiencing a dumbing down of culture because just, you know, I'm just thinking about the separation of information before the digital age. But I do think we're, we're, we're finding ourselves quickly rapidly approaching a lowest common denominator i think you can you know what i mean like like there's a median there's a median of like what's acceptable intellectually i I think that's what's really 
a little bit more scary than like a dumbing down of culture in general, you know? Well, I think you can, you you can succeed in systematically lowering people's standards over decades by feeding them trash and sending them the message that they're not, they're not good enough or smart enough for anything better. Uh, and then people come to believe that they get exactly what they deserve. They don't expect anymore. I think that's, that's something that's empirically true. You know, a book like Lolita, for example, was a bestseller when it was published in the fifties, as was Augie March as was Lionel Sherman's The Liberal Imagination, which is a book of criticism about liberalism and its relationship to literature. It's almost impossible to imagine any of those three books being bestsellers in today's yeah, not, uh, literary Yeah, not a chance. Not a chance. I, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, ugh, I mean, I don't even know where to start for why that is. I think that's another, I think that, that's another day. That's another day, I think yeah. S- social media. Yeah, I mean, it ties in with the literary industry. I mean, it's like... It's the reason why I think big houses and stuff should, you know, uh, relieve themselves of the duties of literary fiction and all of that stuff. But, you know, I will say this, George, or maybe you can chime in, is that I do think in in all of this hellscape, poetry, for better or worse, is experiencing, I think, an uptick in popularity maybe i think poetry is healthy like poetry poetry's doing all right you know what you you, think poetry is doing all right you hear about it all the time like in 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 trying times people turn to poetry right after a tragedy people turn to poetry some of the most famous things that world leaders have said after tragedies have been taken from poetry i think specifically around of of, of reagan flip the surly bonds of earth i i think there is a marked uptick in general rabble rousing yeah. and like an appreciation of poetry well i would i would say my my unpopular opinion is part of me doesn't and this is like the kind of thing you know like when you discover a song and you don't want any you only want like your close friends to hear it or you want people to know that you heard it first part of me does not want poetry to continue to continue to uptick in popularity because i don't want it to sort of give in to capitalist interests i don't think there's any way for poetry okay. to, to i, I I was about about to say the same thing. Yeah, I don't think that it's at risk. (laughs) Poetry is so, it's so inaccessible because, yeah, it just, it just doesn't come out and say the thing that it it wants to say. It says it in, in riddles. (laughs) Riddles. It does. It says things in riddles. All poetry is riddles. No, again, um, by, again, just by, by virtue of speed, it's, it's an extinct, form in some ways i'm sorry to have to say and this is coming from somebody who loves poetry and reads a lot absurd of it. point <laughs> i just need to be on record saying that that's an absurd point <laughs> carry it on it doesn't have no no but i mean if you, you can think about poetry in the same way that you could think about blank verse in elizabethan drama i mean people don't write in blank verse anymore because it has no relevance to our culture and that's not to say that poetry doesn't have any relevance to our culture but i think as a form it's not the primary delivery system now sure the point of poetry is that it slows things down and it's a contemplation of the moment and it's ultimately a solitary phenomenon which is something that is becoming rare yep. and rarer in I culture these days and if in 200 years ago byron was a celebrity he was like mobbed in the streets of london and venice you know and now a book of poetry is considered a hit if it sells more than like 200 copies that's so, because well, back yeah, back then more than that. let's be realistic back then this. back then he was spitting hot fire you know like and hip hop has completely usurped poetry as a as the form of a verse you know it's just totally and and i mean it's concomitant with just black culture in the 90s like became the coolest thing in the world american black culture was the epitome of culture and they kind of dominated sort of poetic scene 
over over music, I guess you'd say. But you know, I'm I'm completely okay with We're this. We're nearing our end. I love I love when George talks. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. It's my favorite. No, I'm. I'm like, it's my I'm favorite. I have to okay piss so this. so bad, guys. I don't. I you know poetry is, is at no risk of being uh, like over commodified. It's it's nobody goes into poetry because they want to write something that's going to sell a million copies. It's it it by by and I I mean I completely agree yeah. with, with. And you, I think Jared. if you do, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. of yeah. course. Yeah, and I mean you're bound to, you're bound to fail because what is pop poetry? I'll like? go on record on that. I mean it's still yeah. it's still I like I mean that's that's what makes poetry worthwhile is because it is still I mean predominantly a, a subversive act. I feel that poetry is is inherently subversive. It's done to be you know, it's done because it gives us joy. Uh, it's 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 untainted by thinking about what i mean so you so you you have a poem you want to submit to a journal they're not going to ask you do you have 10 more poems that we can also publish or who's who's the audience for this or is it what should give us a list of other poems that are like this that have already been published you know if the poem is good they fucking publish it <laughs> and that's all i'm asking you know yeah imagine writing yeah. A, imagine writing a poem proposal Prior yeah. to writing a poem, precisely <laughs> in this poem, I yeah, will. I will the three poems that this is like, and and, and how no, you ba- basically it's it turns into like an SEO project. You pick out some <laughs> words that are going to like be keywords that people are going to latch onto. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's insane. But um, okay. So hi, my name is Brian, and I have to pee. But uh, I, I want to ask one more question. Yeah, we're nearing our end. We're nearing our end. So I want to ask one more question. I- I'll combine this question with the advent. Calendar of, of the in, yeah well actually the best thing the Catholic Church ever did pretty funny Devin pretty no the best thing the Catholic Church ever did was create the calendar the Gregorian calendar is what we yeah. live by come my on my mom guys. just sent me a, a email like, tell a, me a Advent calendar via email yeah it's it's no, pretty no amazing chocolate it's a feat of it's a free it's a feat of astronomy freak of astronomy uh, it's a feat of astronomy and uh, and just will human will sure. um, and faith I mean you know Let's but you know beer. anyway. I'm drinking Czech beer. I have to pee. My name is Brian. Next question. I want to know, with all of our intranets and all of our technology and all of the things that a Luddite like me fails to navigate properly, where, where does literature need to go in juxtaposition with all this stuff? Should we well, do it like one at a time? Or are we? I don't know. Let's start closing. Maybe, maybe we should do one, two, three, and say a word that comes. No, I don't know. But, you know... Oh, I have, okay. my, uh, name is, my, name is, my name is Brian. I have to pee. Where does literature need to go? Yeah. Is the question. Mm-hmm. I, I really have to pee. Who's going to answer first? I mean, I think we already kind of touched on it. Like, I think we all agree that indie presses need to take the mantle I mean, I, of literary work. But, you know. Well, I can say, I can say this much, which is, um, I don't know if it's uh, at the risk of sounding uh, too sure of myself. I don't know if I can say where literature needs to go. But in relation to the the last point, there's no reason to think that literature won't go the way of blank verse or that it won't go the way of poetry. It's, it seems more recently the the short story. And uh, when I say literature, I mean fiction, like commercial fiction. There's no reason to think that commercial fiction is a, a timeless and commercially viable I form. agree. I suspect that where we're heading now, uh, and this is an argument that I've made elsewhere, and this doesn't just apply to literature, it applies to every medium whatsoever, yeah. every delivery system for art. Everything is moving towards a kind of niche. Everything sure. is moving towards a kind of subculture, and that there is no canonical mainstream culture with a single knowledge base anymore. Like everything will be niche in the future. Yeah. Which what? Which was? Which was started. what? Do you think, yeah. Jared? What was it? Religion? I mean, because literature wasn't the knowledge base before. You know what I mean? 
What what was it? Uh, what was that sort of canonical? Yeah, of yeah. This this grand unifying theory of sorts, you know. Well, I mean, it was religion for quite a long time, and then after after the Enlightenment, I would say that it was the tradition of Western yeah. literature and, and science. Yeah, and I I think I think si- I think science science, science, is st- science is still very well intact, but yeah. literature certainly yeah. is not. No, I think I because I think science I really do think science is starting to you know I think literature is never going to lose its value in the sense of do you want to better yourself as an emotional human being in this world yeah. they're, they're like we are nowhere close in mental health terms or what what have you to solving those kinds of issues that books can kind of address there's we're not even close yeah. I, I mean i was talking to my friend ben who's training to be a, a, a psychiatrist you know he's i think at the end of his res- residency something like that and i asked him when when i thought when he thought that talk therapy would become obsolete and his answer was never i think that might be a little bit of a stretch unless we yeah. all go extinct but, but it's now becoming like commodified by apps like you can now get an app that right will like, that sets you yeah. up with a and therapist i think or that whatever, that know. ties into my like i i don't know where i can tell you literature should go but i can tell you where it cannot go and, and literature cannot like hang on to the coattails of capitalism like that's like if right. if if literature decides to commodify it, if especially literary fiction and poetry and, and whatever we ascribe as literature, um, not like pulp. At the same time, it will depend on capital, yeah. just like classical paintings and, do at museums. And I think you know our, I mean? our, the, the I, I think if if literature if the industry isn't it will the literary publishing industry will because it is part of the behemoth of capitalism um, will sort of live and die with it but i think that it is up to people to create a haven for literature that is subversive that is experimental that is doing things with language and and narrative that is against the grain of sort of late capitalism that's where it should go I don't. I know that people will do that. The thing is, I trust that people will do that. I trust that people there are subversive enough people and 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 uh, motivated enough people to do that. And I think that they should. The question is whether or not we can create people can create a resurgence or a or a a growth of like-minded folks who understand that like it is, capitalism and, and literary fiction should never go hand in hand. That is like I, Devin. That assumes that there's an authentic alternative within a market system. And there, I mean, there isn't. I mean, that, that's the problem. But at some point, at some point, technology. Here's the thing, though. So at some point, technology is going to move us beyond a market system, a a strictly transactional system, because we all already kind of live in a welfare state, and that will be exacerbated when people aren't needed. I think literature is a good analog for that in the sense that literature is not needed, although it kind of is. It really is you know, still, but it's not deemed as a necessary, uh, commodity, I guess you'd say. No. Well, to take, to, to take you up on your, on your previous point, Brian, and then we can go to George because he hasn't spoken yet. But what I, what I'm hearing is that there's sort of two models. The first model is the one that you were talking about, Brian, which is that sort of purpose of literature is to be therapeutic and to be healing. And I'm actually very uncomfortable with that model of literature. Uh, I, um, in, that motiv- Devin, wow. in, that, in that motivation to write as a writer. Devin, Devin's, Devin's saying wow as if you wow. disagree. No. no, I don't. I just I just like disagreement. 
I, I do agree with you, Jared. I mean, I, challenge, challenge, I think comfort. Th- I can give you my reasons for that. No, well, well, challenge yeah, no. L- l- let me say, let me say that I think, I think it, it, it's, it's a fine line. I think there's not one. There's not one answer. Yeah, there's not one literature answer. Literature can challenge. Good li- literature can comfort. And it can, it can teach all Very that good rarely stuff. Should good literature ever harm? It depends. It depends on what perspective you're looking at it yeah. from. Because if you're looking at it from the reader's perspective, I think there can be a very therapeutic value. I think that's a lot of the point. Oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But from the writer's less alone in the world, from the writer's perspective, there's certainly an element of therapy in it. But if you're doing it for that reason, I think you are in for a world of trouble because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of difficulty that surrounds writing that that like very much transcends therapy. Yeah, I'm not um, I'm not I'm not demeaning that. All I'm saying is that I think this model this literary model, which is very much like a sort of post-David Foster Wallace model of literature, that literature can be redemptive in its ability to inspire empathy and to make us feel less lonely. There's something a bit slavish about that and something a bit dependent about that. And I don't think that literature is the only way out of feelings of loneliness. I think literature does have a certain ability in being able to provide us a window into someone else's consciousness. That's something that other mediums can't provide. But it's certainly not our only way to empathy. Sure. And I think in many respects, contra- contrary to what someone like Wallace would have said, I don't think that our culture is seriously lacking in empathy. I think, if anything, we're more empathetic as a species than we've ever I been. I agree. And that may, be in no small part, that may be in no small part to literature's contribution, but I don't think that literature is the only haven left that we have for empathy in our culture. And I don't think that should be the model that literature should Far be. Far from it. I think, I, th- I think the internet is the reason for it. I mean, straight up, there's no... There's no and, and and Google. There's no empathy on Twitter. No, but no, not, not not Twitter, not but being able being able to see around the world from your from your screen and also like you know search anything you want. Yeah. But anyway, we George George, give us something give us something about this from the, from George's heart, <laughs> jo- like you know from George's. From we the bot, from the bottom of with George, from the bottom of George, <laughs> from the bottom of George's pore. You know, I you, you talk about where does where does literature need to go? You know, as a as a species, as a society, we're very thirsty for new content. I mean, we we consume media and create media at a, at a tremendously accelerated pace now because of the terrific proliferation of eyeballs. Right, everybody wants to go home and watch. The next episode. I mean, I mean, we we we've embraced the term binge watching, which tells you just about everything you need to know, right? Uh, you see, in, you see tremendous investment in and these in the creation of new content. You see it uh, from a lot of the streaming services. Uh, Netflix, of course, has, has changed the game. I think literature needs something like this. Literature needs a place where you know uh, you can sell a book, perhaps wrapped up in some kind of, of subscription service where it's okay to take a risk right it's okay to huh. it's okay to, to start a book decide you don't like it go to the next one right i mean i, I think we, we we need an easier delivery system for something that is traditionally uh bulky for something that is traditionally a time investment like like jared was saying right if you could if you could start a book from your seat a, a new book you didn't have to go to the library you didn't have to go to the bookstore if you could start and of course you can do this with ta- reading tablets and things like that but of course you have to buy it or you have to read the sample chapter right but if you could just if you could consume literature with the same speed and the same sort of ease that you consume so much of the mindless and and quite good television shows right that are coming out uh, streaming uh, services that are putting out 
you know, I think perhaps it would it would change. Uh, I think that the kind of books that we would see would change, right? Some of the most successful television shows of the last 10 years have been things that would never have been on television before. This this uptick, this this uh, uh, sort of mass production now, I think specifically about Game of Thrones. Like, who thought that was going to be uh, the success that it was? I mean, it's, it's, it's captured the world, right? It's so big. So I don't know. I think I think we need... We need a, a better delivery system to encourage people to to play in literature, to experience things that they wouldn't otherwise experience, and to make it to make it a little easier for people to to come into. What that is, uh, don't ask me. I don't fucking know. But yeah, I love play. Well, no, it's it, well. I mean, like, didn't that, that that harkens back to like Dickens and all of them, like trying to serialize their stuff, right? Yeah, in a sense, like I mean, uh, okay, okay. So yeah, Devin, no, Devin, Devin's, Devin's giving me the slash throat sign, like he's gonna piss his pants. <laughs> Devin looks busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, Jerry can see him. Okay. I have to pee so bad. Okay, so we're gonna wind this down. Never, uh, never, I want a number from everyone. No, before we do the number, the egg McMuffin thing. Yeah, I want every one of our. You're you're working on a book. I'm working on a book. Jared's got a book of uh, short stories coming out. Sure. George, I know you've got a book you're working on. Katie's got a, a book, but how, you know, do we have enough? Do we have enough fast food stuffs for all of our books? There's so much fast food. Okay, everyone has to. Everyone should a uh, should should compare their book. But are we? Are we? Oh, you're talking too slow. Do do we do we <laughs> Devin? I my name is Brian. I have to pee. <laughs> do we want to just limit this to fast food? I mean, are our books fast food? You know, some fast food is good. No, absolutely not. All right, my book is the ch- fucking chalupa of. Is that literature. Taco Bell? Yeah. Wow. Chalupa is the. I've literally had Taco Bell once in my you life. Yeah, the chalupa, the gordita. My book is like the TGI Fridays of literature. Ooh, I love it. I love it. My book is the my my book is the Popeye's <laughs> there it is. Yeah. God you, damn it! You don't know what you're getting, but it's probably chicken. How could you take that from me? Yeah. I might. <laughs> Oh, what are you, George? Answer. I want to know yeah, what George book is. Definitely you? the McRib. Uh, definitely the McRib. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. it's it's the McRib. It's huh? shaped like limited time. You got to get it while it's yeah. hot, and, and See, like, you want it while it's hot because that's yeah. the safest way to eat it. And the species that it's made from is some way extinct. Yeah, I will. I will close. I will close with a short anecdote to to uh, to display what my book is, what fast food it is. And just, you know, to Devin's chagrin, when I was a teenager, me and my friends got high as shit and went to McDonald's. One, I, I hope that one of us that was driving was sober. I don't know. I, I think so. We were high. It's, you know, Devin, Devin's going to pee. He literally is getting up to go pee. Devin, Devin, Devin loses. That's all I want to say. Anyways, we were high as shit. We went to McDonald's. We went through the drive through in typical, burn bomb fashion because i was a little imp in addition to my order i don't remember what i ordered i i I requested infinity barbecue sauces with my with my (laughs) order that is my novel infinity barbecue it is an infinity of barbecue that's exactly what your novel is i agree i agree wholeheartedly it is we're we're done devin's desperate okay uh it's not over is that it devin is devin is defeated i'm ready let's go another hour so yeah i'm ready to fucking roll man i'm sitting at a nine Right. Okay. It, all right. I'm totally. All right, guys. I'm shutting this down. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make some closing remarks. Are you guys ready? 
You guys ready for my closing remarks? Yeah, what are we, do- what are we gonna do to sign uh, off? Well, I'm gonna say, my name is Brian. I have to pee really badly. Uh, Devin cheated and peed before this was over. I'm a little miffed about it. And also, uh, don't forget to tune in next time when we'll be discussing, I don't know, we're gonna have, we're, we're hoping to have Meher and Chelsea on for, uh, for the next episode. They're from, they're from the Angry, uh, Angry Reading series, which they do like nine blocks from us, if that. Um, but yeah, that'll be a good time, and uh, be sure to stay tuned. As I said, for our launch parties that are scheduled in all of those lovely cities like New York, Seattle, Baltimore, Little Rock, and uh, we'll announce the date for our first release, the book I wrote, Emerald City, and, uh, and you know, hopefully we'll have our website launched within the next couple weeks, I'm thinking. Yeah, a couple weeks. But yeah, thank you all and uh, have a good night. Goodbye. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Animal Riot Press or Facebook and Instagram at the same name or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the second episode of the Animal Riot podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring writers Devin Kelly, George Sawaya, and Jared Pollan. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Great work, everyone. I'm going to go take a massive piss. Yeah, I'll be right back. Is that yeah, it? Yeah. 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 yeah right, I'll be, so. I'm going to take a massive piss. That's right. I see headphones here. <laughs> Holy dick. <laughs> I cheated. Getting gully as the fern. How no much about Lee.